0: Good morning. Isn't this a beautiful day? Wow. I mean, we could be shoveling snow instead. This is an awesome day, I tell you. I'm excited about our picnic today. I want to thank everybody who has kind of pitched in and helped us in the preparations and all. And uh, just uh, remind you, it's not too late to invite some friends to come with you. Everybody's welcome. Uh, everything in the picnic is free. And all the people who participate in the adventure race, and everybody can do it for real, you know, will get a adventure race certification of certificate of completion. Faith Living Church Awards, your name, for successfully completing the 2017 you know, adventure race. And then we get our signatures and all that on there. Now, you know, only one person can be the first, or one team can be the first, but everybody can complete it, you know, whatever, however you want to do it, we're going to have a blast at doing so, so if you want to be a part of that, there's a fishing tournament going on at the same time, probably more the kids will be involved in that, but adults are welcome to be a part of that. There's, um, you know, some uh, medals for the adventure race, you know, first, second, and third place, you know, the solid gold-looking medal, and the solid bronze-looking one. And the Oh, the silver one also, so we won't forget that. Just like the Olympics, you know, and all. And let me just give you, uh, let's see, what are some other things going on? Oh, uh, Susan will be there. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I had asked those of you who wanted to be in my prayer album to allow us to take your picture. It's not for anybody else. It's just for me <clears throat> to be able to pray over you, you know, on a regular, ongoing basis. So she's going to be there, and for whoever would allow us to do so. We'll take your picture, put it in my prayer album. You can even get a photograph, you know, a, a, you know, a photo paper and all that while you're there. Of you, your family, uh, whoever you uh, allow to be in that picture there. And let me see, uh, what else we need? Uh, oh, yeah, don't forget about the float. We've been doing this for 30 some odd years. And that's always an awesome, fun time. It really is. You know, go to our town with our worship team on the float, and we're all around it, you know, all in our, our same T-shirts just talking about, you know, Faith Living Church makes a difference and all, and just smiling and shaking people's hands and waving at them. It makes a huge difference. Quite a few people have told me that's the first place they ever saw Faith Living Church was in the uh, Apple Harvest Parade, and then they chose to come here, and their lives have been forever changed. Let me see, what is our menu? Oh, let me see, our menu. Let me see if I can find it here. Let's see, build your own burgers. Cheese, pickles, onions, mushrooms, mustard, relish, ketchup, etc., etc., etc. Hot dogs, all the fixing, and meat sauce from Blackie's. Y'all know where Blackie's is at? The world famous hot dogs. We got their special sauce. And uh, from Buster's and Capital Lunch, and you can put all that stuff on your hamburgers too. We have barbecue chicken or non barbecue chicken and all kinds of. Other things on the grill, tossed salad, potato salad, macaroni salad, coleslaw, baked beans, ice cream, cakes, pies. And I actually still have five pounds of cicadas, you know, in my freezer. <laughs> what y'all laughing about? Don't remember when the cicadas hit us a couple years ago? Yeah, my life group, we ate cicadas one night. You know, there's a great recipe online that you can find out how to do it. You know, I'm not even going to share my cicadas with you today then, all right? I'll just keep them to myself. All right, but we're going to have a, a blast and a, a great time. And there's basketball courts and kickball courts, and there's like a 75-foot sliding board, which is a tube off the side of the mountain. And there's all kinds of things out in the So plan on being there with us today. And it does start at 1 o'clock, and we're going to have a great time together. Let me just put all that stuff right there. And I think that was it. Wasn't that an awesome song we just... Uh, Uh, you know, sing and and watch beautiful scenery there. And God says, hey, when you can't lift that weight, you ever dealt with things that was just a little bit out of your league? God says, hey, remember, I will. You know, you can't do it, but I will, he says. And that's the truth. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is how big is God? How big is God? In Job chapter 26, verse 7, It says, God stretches the northern sky over over empty space. And then he hangs the earth on nothing. Can you imagine these great big old hands of God hanging the earth on nothing? Can you imagine that? No? Okay. Well, you were supposed to be able to imagine that. You can imagine it? Imagination is working really good. Well, in case you couldn't, I have a picture of the earth. And I was going to hang the earth on nothing. Ooh. Well, I'm not near as good at it as God is. And that was just a little picture of earth. Uh, Y'all be careful about the glasses over there, okay? But it says, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and he hangs the earth on nothing that's pretty big when you can hang the earth on nothing you know and all the other planets and all the stars he hung them in their their proper place god is big and he is bigger than any difficulty any problem that you currently have or ever will have he's bigger than all that kinds of stuff that's just the truth of it you know And the thing is, God's so big, he hung the earth on nothing. And at the same time, he can live within a man's heart or a woman's heart. It's just phenomenal when you you think about it. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all peoples of the world. There's a bunch of false gods, so-called gods, and you can make anything a God. You can make a microphone or a guitar. You can make your bank account or a relationship. You can treat it like you're God and you serve it, but it's not God. There is only one true living God. And He says here, I am the Lord, the God of all peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? Now, what is your answer to that? <clears throat> Excuse me? No! no. Nothing is too difficult for Almighty God. And that's just the truth of it. Nothing is too hard for him. And the men and the women who believe that will experience the reality of that. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, and and, and this is an awesome passage. I I thoroughly enjoyed reading this passage. it says, After the Philistines, they were in a battle, with Israel, you know. And uh, they actually conquered in this particular incident. <coughs> Excuse me. And after the Philistines had captured the Ark of God. Uh, you, you know, the Ark of God was this big old golden chest. Overlaid with, with, with gold. This special wood. And it has these uh, big rings on there. that The, the uh, uh, priests and all would put these big, big old poles through. And they would carry it. And on the mercy seat on top of the lid... They had these uh, cherubim. It was kind of like angel creatures. And their wings overspread and, and touched each other. It was a phenomenal. But that was, at that point in time, the, the basically the throne of God on the earth. That's where God revealed himself to the priests and all. That was before, uh, you know, we had as free access to him as we have now. But that was what was referred to as basically the throne of God on the earth. And can you imagine... After the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. And they carried the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon. you got to understand, Dagon was one of many, but one of their gods. And they had a temple for him. And Dagon was kind of like half fish. From here down, he was like fish. And from here up, he was like a man. But this great big old statue, this monument... That they worshiped there, and they figured, hey, you know, well, we just get all the gods we can get, you know. So they took the ark of God. They carried the ark of God, verse 2, into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the ark of God. wonder how that happened this God that they have been supposedly serving and worshiping had somehow gotten pushed over and was bowing at at the, you know, the Ark of Almighty God. Well, that's what happened, you know, and it says, so they took Dagon and they put him in his place again. Now, you stay there, okay? You do what we tell you to do, you know. You stay there. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord again, and this time his head and hands had broken off. And they were lying in the doorway, and only the trunk of his body was left intact. Now, that's what I'm talking about. How big is God? I mean, I think they were starting to get the messages like the true and the living God... You don't mess with him. And even false gods will bow before him. I just, I just thought it was just absolutely amazing. Now, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 11, God had told Abraham that you're going to have a son. Okay, his wife is in her 90s, he's pushing 100, and God had been talking to him, and he said, you're going to have a son. The, the promise that I had given you, and it says in Genesis 18, Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time. And Sarah was long past the age of having children. Verse 12 so says, you know, when God had spoke to Abraham, she was kind of eavesdropping. And she laughed silently in herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such a pleasure having kids again? And all? Especially when my master, my husband is also so old, you know. And then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? You know why she said that? She didn't believe. Is anything too difficult for God? But she didn't believe. Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? God's asking this question of Abraham, you know, in regards to Sarah. But he's answering this question of you and me as well. Is anything too hard for God, the Almighty? You know? Well, Sarah thought that this was too hard for God to give him a baby at their age, you know? And you and I will answer that question by the way we live. Do we think anything's too hard for God? And God said, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will return. Have a son. Now, Sarah was afraid, you know, so she denied it, saying, No, I didn't laugh. Can you imagine lying to God? But the Lord said, No, you did laugh. Now, what do you think? A year later, did she have a son? Anybody know what his name was? Isaac was his son, the promised child. Now, I was reading about this preacher. And after they had their Sunday school program that morning, this preacher uh, was in the hallway and he was talking to this little boy and he asked the little boy, he said, uh, if you can tell me something that God can do, I'll give you this great, big, red, shiny apple. And the boy looked at, at, up at him and he said, preacher, if you can tell me something that God can't do, I'll give you a whole box of red, shiny apples. You know, It's like, I like that kid's style. I really did. We really do. Now, there's a song that we have been known to sing from time to time. You may know it, and hopefully we can project it up there so I don't have to sing it along. But it goes something like this. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy outstretched arms. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee, O oh, great and mighty God, great in power, mighty indeed. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing is too difficult for thee. Now, truth of it is, if you don't know that song, we should learn it. And we should be humming it, we should be chewing on it and thinking about it throughout the days. When the enemy of our soul is saying, well, God can't do that, God can't do that, you know, the devil's trying to get us to be fearful and doubtful and all, and we need to be humming that and singing that and knowing nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing is too difficult for Almighty God. Now, King Ben-Hadab of uh, Aram, he had mobilized his army, uh, and and he was supported by phenomenal amounts of chariots and horses Thirty-two allied kings had joined him as they were laying siege to Samaria, to the capital of Israel. And this is what Ben-Hadab said. Speaking to Israel, he says, Your silver and gold are mine. And, and Israel was phenomenally outnumbered. Your silver and gold are mine, and so are your wives and the best of your children. And that's what he said. He's out there Party and will follow his warriors and soldiers before they come and attack. Well, God told Israel, He told them what to do, and they went and, and they initiated the attack. Phenomenally outnumbered, but uh, this is where we pick up. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 23. And it says, After their defeat, Ben Hadab's army was totally defeated, and they w- was running with their tail between their legs back to where they came from. But after their defeat, Benadab's uh, officers said to him, the Israelite gods are gods of the hills. Oh, we we, we forgot that. And and that's why they won. But we can beat them easily on the plains. Get them away from those hills and mountains, we'll beat them. They have a god of the hills, you see. Verse 25, it says, there's no doubt. they're, They're telling their king. There's no doubt that we will beat him. So King Benadab did as they suggested. Verse 28 says, Then the man of God, a prophet, he went to the king of Israel and said, This is what the Lord says. <clears throat> the Arameans have said, The Lord is the God of the hills and not of the plains. So I will defeat, God saying, So I will defeat this vast army for you. And then you will know, I am the Lord. How big is God? God is big enough to defeat every obstacle, every enemy that ever comes against you for all of your life and throughout eternity. That's just the truth of it. Do you believe him? Amen. Amen. I believe that too. There ain't nothing that God don't know. He's big enough. He knows every little detail, every thought, every thing. He knows. It says in Psalms 139 verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart. He examined your heart. and know everything about me, everything about you. So there's no secret. There's nothing ever that's secret. God knows everything about you. He says, you know, when I sit down and, and when I stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, and don't think when you travel, and you travel all by yourself, that nobody knows what's going on. You know what, Susan and I, a couple staff members had traveled years ago. We were to Texas, and it was a big conference we had gone to, and while we had one evening free, we went to like a rodeo where they'll serve you dinner at the rodeo. And as we were standing in line to get it. And this is a real western part of Texas. This is like the real deal. And while we were there, lo and behold, we met people from our church. Right, They're in the same line, going to the same place. Now, if you can bump into somebody you know, that means always be on your best behavior. Don't think just because you travel. Ain't nobody there who don't know you. You hear what I'm talking about? But even more so than that, it says in verse 3, you see me when I travel. God sees you. He knows everything that's up. He knows all that you're doing. And it says, and you see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say. Even more before I say it, Lord. You go before me. And you follow me. How about that? You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is just too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. You know, uh, There's just absolutely nowhere that God's at. He goes on to tell us in verse 7, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the fatherless oceans, even there your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. How big is God? He's big. Psalms 84 verse 11 says, for the Lord God is our son. Now, what would happen if we didn't have a son on this planet? What would happen to us? We would be frozen solid. That's the best situation. But it says here, for the Lord God, he's our son. He, he warms us. He gives us light. Everything we need comes from him. It says, for the Lord God is our son and our shield. He protects us. He gives us grace. And the best definition I've ever uh, come up with through, through lots of study on this particular word, I know unmerited favor is a popular definition, but the best definition, biblically accurate, for the word grace is God's enabling power. He enables us, by grace we're saved. He enables us to be saved. He enables us to accomplish everything he's ever called us to do. But he says here, he gives us grace, his enabling power, And glory and glory just means honor he gives us his enabling power and honor and the Lord will withhold oh no he's gonna withhold suffering and for the Lord will withhold oh no good thing from those who do what's right God will withhold nothing that's good from you if you're living in a right relationship with him he will withhold nothing that's good from You, you know, uh, how big is God's wallet? Think about it for a moment. How big is the provisions of Almighty God? Listen to what Paul has to say in Philippians 4.19. And this same God who takes care of me, this is Apostle Paul, he said, now, I'm telling you from personal experience, God has been awesomely taking care of me. And he says, this same God who takes care of me will supply half of your needs. He says he'll supply not even 95%. He says he'll supply all of your needs. All, what does all mean? It means all. It means 100%. And he says, and Paul's speaking to us. He says, this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, from his bank account. Now, if you were to help other people out based upon your bank account, and you might have a pretty good-sized bank account, but it's still limited. Is that right? You have limits on your bank account. All humanity does. But God's riches and glory, his account is unlimited. God sprinkled the gold and the silver and the diamonds and the rubies and the emeralds in this old planet and stirred them up for us to find. And and like kids, ooh, look at that, you know. (coughs) He just sprinkled them there for us. And Paul says, my God, this God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. The word in is talking about when you and I are in relationship with Christ, we have access to God's bank account. If you're not in Christ, you don't have access to his account. But he says, my God's going to supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory based upon what he has. He has everything. And if He don't have what you need, he'll create it and make it for you for all those who are in relationship with Christ. You get in relationship with Christ, I'm going to tell you, the blessings of Almighty God are extended to you. And that means all you guys up in the the balcony. He's got enough to take care of all you guys. And he's still got enough to take care of all of us down here. Takes care of all the guys downstairs in the overflow, down in the cafe. Enough to take care of all you guys who are watching online. God is absolutely unlimited. He's big. And God's wallet, his account, is big. And you'll never have a need that's so big that God can't meet. That's just the truth of it. So, what do you imagine? Is God big enough to take care of, I mean, think about it. We just talked about imagination the last two weeks. Is God big enough to take care of your, not someone else's, but your personal financial needs? Three, four, five, okay. If you believe it, it is absolutely true. He is able. God is big enough to take care of all those things. What about if you lose your job? Is God able to take care of all your needs if if you lose your job? Absolutely. Anybody here ever lost a job before? Did God take care of you? You're still here, you know. And we learn to trust him in those kinds of times. And God is big enough to take care of all those great big needs, but he's also big enough to take care of all the itsy, bitsy, teeny, weeny things that just delight us and encourage us. God's able to do all of that, you know. God is big enough that you can pray right here in Connecticut and he can answer that prayer within seconds in California, in North Carolina, in Arizona, in Arkansas, in Alaska, in Japan. Did you know God's so big you can ask a prayer right here and it's being answered before you ever say amen in another part of the world? God's that big. I'm telling you, read his word. It's phenomenal. Luke chapter 12, verse 6 says... What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? A couple cents? Yet God does not forget a single one of those sparrows. Has God ever used you to provide for a sparrow? Got a bird feeder? Everything crumbs out, you know, on the lawn. And God used you to take care of those things? You know, pretty amazing when you think about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Lord, we hear emergency vehicle off in the distance. There may be something going on with somebody who we know. And we just ask that you'd help those who are in need right now and help those who are responding to be able to get there safely and minister aid and draw them all closer to yourself. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. That's pretty cool. You know what it says? 72,489. <coughs> uh, can y'all see that? I'm actually holding something in my fingers right here. I just got it out of the hairbrush. I'm serious. See, I'm teasing. <clears throat> Where are we at? Oh, in Luke, Luke chapter 12, picking up in verse 7, and it says, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Now, why does he tell us that? That's a fire truck. Lord, we just ask you to help that fire truck To get there in time, be able to do what they're trained to do and help the people in need. And draw all of those folks unto yourself, Lord. Might be somebody we know. And even if it's not, bless them and help them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So he says here, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Now, why in the world would God bother to number all the hair on your head? And you can point to one he can give you the number, just like that all of us on the planet at the same time. What's this one? He can tell you what number it is. And let me tell you something. I did a little research in in the dictionaries, encyclopedias, updated versions, (coughs) and it says blondes have an average of 150,000 hair on their heads. The average redhead has 90,000 hair. Those with black or brown hair have an average of 110 to around 100,000 hair. This is as a All the statistics came in uh, February the 12th, 2014. Now I wonder who did all the counting of those hairs to find that out, you know, (laughs) and kind of average them out. But see, God knows. Now I'm going to tell you, if he knows how many hairs on your head, and it changed from the time you got up this morning until you got here, you know that. That number has changed. And some of you done like that, and well it changed again. And he knows. (laughs) If he knows that, you can be well assured he knows everything because he's deeply interested. He's crazy about you. He loves you. He genuinely does. So it says, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Now, in the book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18, here is uh, Elijah, and they're going to have a contest. Here's Elijah, and he had prayed, and that it wouldn't rain it's not rained because all of his god's people begin to drift away and they begin to serve other gods and they turned their back on god the altars had been torn down and dilapidated and Elisha, the prophet of god he is out there he prayed that it wouldn't rain and and for three and a half years it didn't rain this is a prophet a man of god so let me pick up here it says and uh, elijah was addressing the king there and and all those people who drifted away from God. And, And he says, now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with 450 prophets of Baal, you know, and 400 false prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, well, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. They knew what to say. And then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, Cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. I mean, they couldn't wait for this contest. I mean, you know, they're going to be entertained for a little while, and it would prove something. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Will you go first, for there are so many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of the Lord your God, but on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared the bull, and they placed it on the altar, and then they called on the name of Balaam from morning until noontime, shouting, "No Baal, answer us! But there was no reply of any kind. And then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they'd made. And about noontime Elijah began mocking them. Way to go, Elijah. You'll have to shout louder. He scoffed. For surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming, or he's relieving himself. Maybe he had to go stuff off in the bushes over there somewhere. This is the prophet making fun of them. Or maybe he's on a away on a trip or is asleep or needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder, following their normal custom. They cut themselves. That's where the cutting stuff starts from. They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still, there was no sound, no reply, no response. And then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. And he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. And then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. And he piled wood on the altar and he cut the bull in pieces and he laid the pieces on the wood. And then he said fill four large jars of water and pour it all over the offering and on the wood. And after they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. Go get more jars of water. They're on top of a mountain. They're in a terrible drought. To waste that much water was a pretty big to-do and they had to go down the mountain, grab more water, bring it back up. (coughs) And it says, and when they had finished, when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord God, are God. You, O Lord, are God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. You're doing this to bring them back to yourself. Verse 38. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven. There was no sleight of hand. Somebody, you know, throwing a match in there. They didn't have matches back in those days anyhow. But there was no trickery here. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it even lit up all the water in the trench. How big is God? He's big. When all the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah, he killed all. 450 of the false prophets to get rid of all that stuff during that day. In verse 41 it says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, I hear hear a mighty rainstorm coming. I hear a rainstorm coming. Verse 42 says, And Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bowed low to the ground, and he prayed with his face between his knees. And then he said to his servant, Go and look out toward the sea. And the servant went to look and then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Now, when you pray about something and you look and see and ain't nothing no different, do you give up? Or do you pray two times, three times, four times, five times? Well, that's enough. It ain't going to happen. Well, it says in verse 44, Finally, the seventh time. And... You think about this. Elijah prayed until. Finally, the seventh time the servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising up from the sea, just about the size of a man's hand, just a little old cloud coming up from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb in your chair and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. <laughs> and soon the sky was black with clouds, a heavy wind, brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. There was famine, and after all the people acknowledged that the Lord was God, the famine stopped. How big is God? God can do anything and everything if there's a purpose in it for you. And he's crazy about you. He loves you. He's going to take care of you. James chapter 5, verse 17 says, Confess your sins to your pastor and, oh, I'm sorry. It says, confess your sins to the priest. It says, confess your sins to each other. Did you know the Bible tells us about confession? We should confess what the word says and all those kinds of wonderful things about confession. But God tells us we're to confess our sins to him and he'll forgive us. And if we will confess our sins to each other, that just brings about humility. Because, see, we like to look better than we really are. We like to put the best apples on the top of the barrel, you know? <clears throat> and he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to God and be forgiven. Confess your sins to one to another and pray for each other so you'll be healed. Because, see, we humble ourselves then. We're not being prideful and pompous and all. Confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous, righteous means a person who's in right relationship with God. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has what? Great power and produces wonderful results. Wonderful results. When a, a godly man or woman or boy or girl prays, there's wonderful results, great power there when we go to him. Now, this is absolutely amazing how thousands of years ago this thing happened with Elijah. Listen to what the Bible says here in verse 17. Elijah was as human as we are. The guy we just read about who called fire down from heaven and burnt up his altar, you know, and consumed everything and all the people put their trust in God again. Elijah was, what's that next word? As human As we are. We're human. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. You know, Elijah was no different than us. And we can apply the same principles. We can pray in earnest. In sincerity and in reality, knowing God, we can pray. God wants to meet our needs. He wants to move in this world in which we live. And then he goes on to say, like Elijah brought those, all those thousands of people back to God. And it says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. You, you, you remember the unsinkable ship in the Bible? Terrible storm raging out at sea. Water was coming into the boat, almost filling the boat up. The disciples said Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. That was an unsinkable ship because the master of the land and the sea, the master of all creation, was in there. They woke him up. Oh, don't you care? We're going to drown, you know. Jesus got up and says, oh, guys. He said, Peace be still. He was enjoying it. I was just kind of rocking him to sleep, you see. And said, peace, be still. And the water just became as smooth as glass. Oh, there's another ship we know about that was actually referred to by hum- humanity as unsinkable. You remember what they call that boat? Uh, the Titanic. They had all the technology of that time, all the money, all the engineering, you, you name it, they had it on board, and someone had the audacity to say, even God himself can't sink this ship had one voyage and didn't even complete that one and it went two miles down to the bottom of the sea only in the last few years that we begin to bring up pieces of it I'm gonna tell you God is big and he is awesome and in a little old wooden craft that becomes unsinkable when God's with you in the midst of it you can trust him I'm telling you first John chapter 4 verse 4 it says you are of God you are of God little children And you've overcome. You've overcome. You are of God. you got a relationship with God and you've overcome them. And he says, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Greater is the almighty God who is in us and we're in a relationship with us, with him. Greater is he than the devil that's in this world that tries to get us to drift off course. It tries to discourage us and frustrate us and make us fearful and frightened and doubtful. I'm telling you, it's the gospel truth. Greater is Christ who lives in you than the devil is in this world. And you have no need to fear. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When you're in right relationship with him, you know, God and one Man or woman, boy or girl, God in one makes a a majority. When you're in a relationship with the Almighty God, He's big enough to help you. No matter what you, with temptation, He's big enough to help you. When you're tempted, no matter what you're dealing with, God's big enough. And there's no need to worry, because God's big enough. No matter what's going on in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, it says, He said, God said, My grace, my enabling power, is all you need. My grace is amazing. My grace is all you need. My power, this is God talking, my power works best in your strength. Is that what it says? Wow. Wow. God says that his grace is all that I need. His enabling power. And God said, my power works best in weakness. And and our eyes pop open. And and it gets our attention. Well, I qualify. I qualify. Now, there may be some areas that we're strong in, but all of us are weak in so many areas, if the truth was to be told. And we may not let our weaknesses be known to people, but there's weakness in us all. And He said. My grace is all you need. God talking. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad, the apostle says, to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Yeah, I, don't, I can't do that, you know. Not in my own human strength. And you know, I'm not smart enough to figure that thing out. God's strength works best in our weakness. And he, he says... Uh, In verse 10, that's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. So that has been my credentials to be a pastor since the beginning when I first said, I'll do it, Lord. I read that passage and I found out that God is amazing. He can use a little boy with a slingshot And a stone. And he loves to use weak vessels to do extraordinary things. Because everybody looks like that little boy didn't know what he was doing. His God helped him out. He's cheating. He's using God, you know. Well, I'm going to tell you something. God's crazy about you. He is absolutely crazy about you. He loves you. I mean, enough to give his life. Well, I think he did, didn't he? Give his life for us. He's crazy about you. And his strength works best in our weakness. One more verse. Hebrews 11 verse 32. It says, how much more do I need to say? I don't know if you read Hebrews 11 last week. I think I might have told you to read that. I'm not sure. Maybe I did. It's a good one to read this week. About all these men and women, boys and girls who had faith in God and what they did. Just a whole chapter. And it says here, how much more do I need to say? And he's already listed a whole bunch. He says, it would take me too long to recount the stories of the faith, all the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. It take too long to recount all their stories of faith. He says in verse 33, by faith these people, they overthrew kingdoms. By faith they ruled with justice. By faith, they received what God had promised them. By faith, they shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and they escaped death by the edge of the sword. And this awesome, fantastic faith chapter, he says, their weakness was turned to strength. And they became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Jehoshaphat had tens and tens and thousands upon thousands of military-trained men coming against Jehoshaphat and his little army. And they humbled themselves and they fasted and they prayed and God said, Jehoshaphat, send your army on out there but put the worship team in the front. That's what he told him. Read it in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, 21. And, and they begin to worship and they begin to sing to a big God. And the tens of thousands of the military guys coming from every direction possible, they came and, I don't like the way you look. Your mama, wears army boots? And they started insulting each other, started fighting, and the bad guys killed themselves off. God says, the battle is mine. You know, you're going to have to fight this one. God's big. And he can take care of you. And you look through the Bible, and he's done almost everything you could possibly imagine, and he's looking for an opportunity to do those things too you for me and he says their weakness was turned to strength they became strong in battle and they put whole armies to flight. whole armies the last verse i said that was the last but i have one little easy bitsy tiny verse to read okay first corinthians 127 it says god have chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty You ever seen that uh, or heard that story where they had an auction going off and they were selling all this kinds of stuff and the guy picked up an old violin and dusted it, you know, and he held it up and nobody even wanted the thing, you know. it's just old and rickety. Anybody give me a dollar for it? A dollar! And then a guy in the back of the room, he came up and he blew the rest of the dust off and he tightened the strings. He tightened the the horsehair, the, the strings on the bow, and then he began to play majestically. And people were crying in their seats. And When he laid the violin back down, the auctioneer picked up that violin again and said, who will give me one? Thousand, two thousand, three thousand. And what changed the value of that old violin? The touch of the master's hand. And the master delights in using an old, weak instrument, a boy to slay a giant, an old violin, because, see, the awesome strength comes from the master. And he delights to use you and me to accomplish extraordinary things using ordinary people. Now, we're going to close with a song. And this is a song that you already know, and and feel welcome to sing it, but think about it. Chew on it, and then we're going to pray and dismiss
2: How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. When through the world. And forest glades I wander And hear the birds Sing sweetly in the trees When I look down From lofty mountain grandeur And hear the brook And feel the gentle breeze Then sings my soul That God, His Son not sparing Sent Him to die I scarce can take it in That on a cross My burdens gladly bearing He bled and died To take away my sin Then sings my soul joy shall fill my heart, then I shall bow.
0: I believe God's going to work some miracles and some lives right here today. But first, I want to make sure that everybody's in a right right relationship with Almighty God. That you've welcomed his son into your life. You guys here upstairs, downstairs, you guys watching online. I want to ask you if you would join me right now to reaffirm your faith in Christ. Or maybe to enter into a relationship with him for the very first time. And I'll lead you in that prayer right now. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And that's why you sent your son Jesus. And I believe he died in my place, paid for all my sins. And I believe he rose from the dead. I believe Jesus is knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I welcome Jesus into relationship with me. As my Savior, as my Lord, and as my King. I'm sorry for my sinful ways, and I turn from those things right now, and I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what we're gonna do, you're gonna say right where you're at, you might scoot around a little bit. I want you to get over where you can touch at least one person's hand, grab a hand, we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray like Elijah did. We're just as common. He was a common man, and he prayed, and things happened. And the Bible says, the fervent, earnest prayer of a righteous man or woman has great power and produces wonderful things. So we're going to pray right now for all of these needs right here. You guys online, same thing, upstairs, downstairs. God has no limitations to wherever you're at. So bow your heads with me right now as we pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything about everybody here. You know how many hair on their head. And you know every hurt, every pain, every issue, every problem, every trouble, every sickness, every, every financial problem, every relational problem. You know everything about everyone, Lord. And we're coming to you boldly to your throne of grace where you said we could obtain mercy and grace to help us in our times of need. And Lord, you see the needs right here. And you as a loving father... We know you want to meet those needs. And when our prayers are answered, it brings honor and glory to your name. So, Lord, we join our faith. You said if two of us on this earth would agree together concerning anything, it would be done. And we agree together in agreement with your word that these needs would be met according to your riches and glory. Lord, all the men, women, boys and girls whose needs are here, who are represented right here, right now, we ask that you would work a miracle Almighty God, that you would touch our hearts, our souls, our bodies, our finances, our relations, our emotions, that you would touch everything about us. And Lord, that you would leave your fingerprints, that we would see that, Almighty God. Work miracles in our lives, we ask, because you are big enough to meet every need we have with plenty left over. Meet our needs, Almighty God. Reveal your love and your provision to your children here today. And Lord, all of God's children who agree with that says, Amen Amen. and Amen. Now, if you prayed with me a while ago and you welcomed Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior, please stop at the Connections desk and pick up a gift bag. It's got a Bible, some other goodies in there. If you're visiting today, please pick up. Let them know. I'm a guest. they got a nice gift for you. And don't forget, at 1 o'clock at Sloper's, and I I just was told the Sloper's staff, they asked us, They said, please, let the people know Slopers, YMCA camp, does not allow alcohol, does not allow smoking. And two weeks ago they did, but they don't allow swimming or canoeing or nothing. You can fish, but you can't get in the water. So please help us respect their wishes. You know, we've rented the facility. We've got to abide by that. And if somebody comes and they didn't know that, just let them know there's no alcohol, there's no smoking, and there's no swimming not even waiting in the things in the lake right now. Okay, is that good? One o'clock, bring as many friends as you want to. We got all kinds of wonderful things. Oh, finally, I know, you said finally a long time ago, but it says, I, this is your connections card. It says, I will spend quality time getting to know my awesome God better this week. You agree with that? Fill it out, drop it in the tithe box. If you have some other needs, we have folks who would love to pray with you. The God we serve is big enough to answer your prayers. God bless you. You are dismissed.